Hi, ladies. This is Dr. Melissa Rich, and welcome to another episode of Taking Care of Your Temple podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about depression. So this is episode 22, Defeating Depression, part one, because I ended up having so much material as I was gathering it that I realized I needed to make this a two-parter. So this is part one. So before we get started, let me talk about the kind of foundational things that I always talk about. The objective of this podcast is to help women connect with God regularly and use his grace, power, and strength to improve their physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. And we do this by using the following four principles. We keep our focus on God. You know, I was thinking the other day, sometimes I feel like I have the attention span of a gnat. I mean, I start doing something and I get totally distracted and completely off track and I have to keep pulling myself back on, but it is a process. We have to keep getting ourselves back on the right path. You're never going to be completely on it. At least so far, I am not. Next is acknowledging that we are not enough on our own. We are not smart enough, strong enough, capable enough whatever it is enough to do life by ourselves and on our own. We just aren't. And thank goodness God is aware of that because, you know, after all, he did make us. So all we have to do is ask him for his help and he is happy to provide it. Next, we need to remember that it is about progress, not about perfection. If God expected perfection from us, we would all be doomed. So as long as we're moving forward, as long as we are learning from our mistakes, we are moving in the right direction. And the next thing is to work consistently on changing our thoughts. If our thoughts are negative, toxic, beating ourselves up all of the time, we're not going to get very far. So we need to keep figuring out what it is that we're trying to do and match our thoughts to those new objectives so that we can move in the right direction. All right, before we get started, let me offer a quick prayer. Lord, I just thank you for allowing me to do this podcast. I thank you so much for the people who are listening today. I ask that you will give me the words that will encourage them and bless them, and me too, and that we will all really just do better in following you and pleasing you um, and in living the life that you want us to have. Thank you so much for your love. Amen. Okay. So my goal on this podcast is to do this on a weekly basis. So far, so good. And to give you guys lots of good tools and tips to help you feel and function a lot better. Sometimes on the podcast, I will have a guest. They are amazing. Sometimes it is just me also amazing. Well, sometimes. And today it is just me. You're welcome. So talking about depression today, I did um, a couple of weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago now, a three-part series on anxiety. And in the same way that I talked about anxiety, that a lot of times we may not have an anxiety disorder, but we have all suffered from anxiety. Same thing for depression. Most of us do not have a depressive disorder, but I think almost everybody has been depressed in their life. And we can call it different things we're sad, we're grieving, we're down, we're feeling blue, because there's a lot of things in life that 
can cause that to happen. So clinical depression can be chronic and it can go on or reoccur for years. Situational depression tends to be shorter, more intense, and it's usually tied to a particular event. Clinical depression is known medically as major depressive disorder. I'll talk about that in a little bit. And this can develop if the individual does not recover over a period of time. Now, situational depression, this is what I think we all experience at one time or another. It's usually connected to some type of loss. Tends to be short-term, and it is a stress-related type of depression. It can develop after you experience a traumatic event or a series of traumatic events. And it can make it really difficult for you to get back into your regular living routine. So some things that can cause situational depression are maybe a relationship breakup. And the interesting thing is that depression can be caused whether you initiated the breakup or your significant other did. Even if you're the one who did it and you know that that was the right thing to do, it can still be depressing because, okay, you're no longer with that person and you knew that that was not a good relationship, but guess what? Now you're not with anybody and now you start getting depressed. Are you ever going to meet somebody? Is the right person ever going to come along? I mean, you know, are you going to be alone for the rest of your life? You start thinking those things. So that can cause depression. Being fired from a job, even if you didn't like the job, same type of thing. It can cause depression. A move. You wouldn't think that that would do it, but it can because you're thrown into all these new situations. And I remember the last time I moved, in fact, it was when I moved here to Waco, the thing that really threw me that I had a hard time adjusting to was I couldn't find any of the radio stations that I used to listen to. I didn't know where the TV channels were. I mean, just really dumb things like that, that of course I eventually figured out. But in the beginning were really stressful to me. And it was really was causing me to be somewhat depressed because I I, I didn't have my my everyday support things in place where I could access them. Something else that can cause situational depression is what is called perceived loss or loss of expectations. And the best example I can give of this is a couple is pregnant. And, you know, when you're pregnant, you're thinking about all the great things this baby's going to do when they grow up. And maybe they'll be president. They'll be a a lawyer like mom or a teacher like dad or, you know, whatever it is, you've got all these things. And then the couple finds out their child has Down syndrome. Now, nothing on Down syndrome. These are some of the sweetest, most loving people ever. But for most parents, finding out something like that is a blow because suddenly you're faced with the, the fact that your child will never be president, probably will never be a teacher or a doctor. They may never get married. I mean, the future that you have envisioned for them is gone and you're not going to get it back. That is a perceived loss or a loss of expectations. And you can grieve over that. It can be depressing. So that's another type of loss. Obviously, a death. And it can be a human or a pet. A couple of months ago, we had to put down um, my little dog, Daisy, who was just my baby. She had a lot of illnesses and the vet had just said, we need to put her to sleep. And so we did. And it it went as well as it could have. We were there in the waiting room with her. We had 10 or 15 minutes to just love on her and, and talk to her and be with her. 
And the injection was very, very fast and she was gone. And y'all, I totally believe that pets will be in heaven. I mean, the Bible talks about animals being in heaven. There's horses, there's an eagle. And I believe that animals that have been loved are going to be in heaven. So I believe I'll see Daisy again. And I really, I still miss her. I still grieve over that in a part of me. But I truly believe that when I get to heaven, Daisy's going to be one of the people, well, not people, but one of the beings that I see first is going to come running up to me and be jumping all over me and licking me and barking and being so happy to see me. That sustains me. So, but if I didn't have that hope, oh, it would have been a lot worse. Also, sometimes the loss of physical ability. As we get older, we can't always do the things that we used to be able to do really pretty effortlessly. And that can cause, um, that can cause depression and worry and just feeling down on ourselves. Things like arthritis, um, bursitis, just uh, diabetes, different things like that can, can affect us. And then also financial security. Maybe now we're retired and we just don't have that income coming in. So there are a lot of things like that that can cause situational depression. But again, it tends to be short term. We tend to work through it. We get over it and we move on. Okay, so a couple of definitions of depression. Depression is a mood disorder that causes a persistent or an ongoing feeling of sadness and a loss of interest in normal activities. It's also called major depressive disorder or clinical depression, and it affects how you think, feel, and act. Now, depression is a very common mental disorder. It is estimated globally, worldwide, that 5% of adults suffer from depression. It's characterized by persistent sadness and a lack of interest or pleasure in things that we previously liked to do. So if you used to be, um, I don't know, you used to ride your bike all the time, or you were a cake decorator or whatever, that was your hobby. You just don't care about those things anymore. They don't appeal to you. You haven't done them in a long time because you have lost interest in those normal activities. So the prevalence, I looked at that, of depression in the U.S., just the U.S. alone, an estimated, y'all, 21 million adults in the U.S. have had at least one major depressive episode, and that represents 8.4% of all U.S. adults. That is a heck of a lot of people. The prevalence of major depressive episode is higher among adult women than it is adult men. Don't you love the way we seem to get everything? Yeah. Um, also, the prevalence of adults with a major depressive episode was highest among individuals who were in the 18 to 25-year-old bracket. They're the ones who tend to get hardest hit with that. Okay. Then you have different types of depression. So the first one is just what you call major depression or major depressive disorder. You tend to have this if you feel depressed most of the time for most of the days of the week. Because again, we all feel depressed at times, but if like Monday through Friday for hours, you are depressed and you don't go anywhere and you don't do anything, you may be suffering from major depressive disorder. And this classic depressive type is a state where you, this dark mood is just everywhere. Um, 
and you lose interest in activities, even ones that used to be your favorites or that you used to enjoy, it's severe enough to interfere with your daily function. So it's, um, yeah, it's not good. Then there is seasonal affective disorder or called SAD. And this is a period of major depression. It most often happens during the winter months when there's not as much natural light outside. It typically goes away in spring or summer. If you have SAD, sometimes they'll prescribe antidepressants. Sometimes they will prescribe sitting under a light box because it really does help. You're just, your body isn't getting enough light. I've always suspected that I have SAD, at least some variant of it, because when the days get shorter and darker, I don't like it. And I've always known I could never live in Alaska. I mean, the the six months of daylight, that'd be great. Six months of night, I would go crazy. So it it is something that if you have it and you live in the South, like I do, where there is a lot of light, you may never be affected by it. But if you move up North, and I've heard people who do this. In fact, I had a client once who had lived in Florida, ended up moving to like Alaska and found out he had SAD. Didn't know it in Florida because it was never an issue. So that can happen. Very common. Then there is bipolar disorder. Someone with bipolar disorder has those highs and the lows. It used to be called manic depressive. And um, manic episodes are kind of the opposite of being depressed. People have these grandiose ideas, these unrealistic high self-esteem, decreased need for sleep, although they do tend to crash after a few days. Their thoughts are just, just frantically rolling along and they start engaging in this kind of high-risk behavior, um, sleeping with strangers, spending all this money that they don't have, taking risks. And the thing is, being manic can feel great for a while, but it doesn't last long and it can lead to self-destructive behavior. It's usually followed by a period of depression. So one of the things that's very common, I found this out when I was doing counseling, people with bipolar typically do not like to take their meds. And I think one of the most famous people with bipolar was, um, I blanked on her name, the actress who paid, played Princess Leia in Star Wars. And she was homeless at one time, living in somebody's backyard because she would not take her meds and she had bipolar. And, you know, it seems like that's such a common sense thing. Well, of course you would take your meds if you have that condition. However, I had a client who was bipolar and explained it to me one time. She said, look, I will take the lows if I can keep the highs. She said, you don't understand. My manic phase is the most creative, fun, special part of me. I don't want to lose that. And so I was like, okay, I, I kind of get it. I still would not like all the ups and downs, but it, it did sort of make sense to me when she said it. Okay, next is persistent depressive disorder. And this is characterized by this chronic low-level, low-grade depression. It's not as severe as a major depression. It used to be called dysthymia. It can last for up to two years, but it probably never reaches the intensity of major depression. Now, these people are able to function and do daily life things. However, it is a pretty joyless existence for them. They don't find pleasure in much of anything. They are just sad, like the whole time. So that's kind of the dysthymia one. Okay. Then again, women, we are so special. There are two depression types that are unique to us. Aren't we happy about that? 
Um, one is perinatal depression. This includes major and minor depressive uh, episodes that occur either during pregnancy or in the first 12 months after delivery of the baby, which then is known as postpartum depression. Perinatal depression affects one up to seven women who give birth. That's a lot. And it can have really just a devastating effect on the woman, on their babies, and on the families because it just can affect the entire family. It's not a fun thing. The next one that affects women is PMDD, which is premenstrual dysphoric disorder. And this is like a severe, really blown up case of PMS. Um, symptoms begin shortly after ovulation and end once uh, menstruation starts. Okay, so some of the symptoms of depression, and y'all, these symptoms tend to be the same for all types of depression. The severity and the uh, frequency and intensity is what, what varies among these. So fatigue, you just have very low energy. And my mom would have said, your get up and go has got up and gone. And that is about right. It, it is really, you feel like you're dragging through the day. And I remember when, um, well, I'll get to this a little bit later, I think. Okay, um, self-loathing. You have these strong feelings of worthlessness or guilt. You are really critical of yourself for these perceived faults and mistakes. You're like beating yourself up all the time. That's a symptom. Reckless behavior, kind of talked about that. You may engage in escapist behavior such as substance abuse or drinking too much alcohol, compulsive gambling, reckless driving, all of these things that are not very smart. Trouble concentrating. This is a big one. These people can have problems focusing, making decisions, or remembering things. Your memory is just not there. You are not working on all cylinders. And we've all been there. I think you know what I'm talking about. Also, unexplained aches and pains. There can be an increase in physical complaints, such as headaches, back pain, aching muscles, stomach pain. Also, feelings of helplessness and hopelessness. There is this bleak outlook. The person really feels that things will never get better. And not only that, but there is nothing they can do to make them better. So there is this real feeling of helplessness and hopelessness. And then the last one is feelings of worthlessness and or guilt. These people can really start to believe that they don't deserve to have good things happen to them. And so then a lot of times they don't happen to them. Here's what makes one of the things that makes depression so serious. You know, when I was in high school, I think I knew one person who suffered some from depression, one person among my whole high school. Nowadays, we are seeing kids in elementary school having major depressive disorder. And here's why that is so serious and so scary. Once you've had one episode of depression, you are at a much higher risk of having another one. So what that means is if you don't have a depressive episode until you're in your mid-40s, you probably won't have another one. It may have just been a one-time thing. You got over it. You've moved on. You're fine. However, if you have a depressive episode when you are 12, which is happening now, you will probably have three or four more during your lifetime. It's not a fun way to live. You do not want to live that way. So the best way to prevent another episode of depression is to be aware of what your triggers are and start practicing preventive measures to 
ward those off. And we'll be talking about some of those things you can do. So what causes depression? This is a very common question. And the answer is they don't really know. That's what the experts say. Basically, depression is a complex disease. No one knows exactly what causes it, but there are a variety of things that could. So some people have depression because they've gone through this serious medical illness or a loved one has gone through a serious medical illness. Other people may have had some life changes, um, a move, the death of a loved one. Other people have a family history of depression. Um, and people who do have depression can feel overwhelmed with sadness and loneliness for absolutely no reason. And they know really everything is fine, but it doesn't feel like everything is fine. So there are a lot of possible causes for depression, including faulty mood regulation of the brain. Your brain is just not working the way it should. Some type of genetic vulnerability and stressful life events. It's believed that several of these forces can kind of come together to bring on depression. And lots of things, other things can increase your chance of being depressed, including some of the following. Any type of abuse, physical, sexual, emotional, can make you in early life, can make you more vulnerable to depression later in life. Well, and really abuse at any time in life can make you more prone to depression. Age, people who are elderly are at higher risk of depression. And part of the reason for that is that a lot of times they are living alone and they don't have social support available. They don't have that community interaction that they had maybe when they were living with a family. So that's one thing. Also certain medications, some of the side, although the medications may work for the heart or whatever it is, some of the side effects may cause depression. So one of the things I really recommend to a lot of clients, and I will to you all as well, if you are suffering from depression and you are taking some type of medication, look it up, go online and just Google it and see side effects for whatever your medication is. And if it says that it's depression as one of the side effects, you need to call your doctor and say, look, I'm I'm suffering from depression and I see that this medication you prescribed, one of the side effects is depression. Is there something else that I could take that would not make me prone to depression? And just see what they have to say. It's worth a phone call. Okay, also conflict. Sometimes just being involved in a lot of family or work conflict or drama can be depressing. <laughs> I don't like it. I mean, I, I'm not a big drama person. I, I don't have the patience for it. Um, death or loss, sadness or grief after the death or loss of a loved one, even when you knew it was coming, even if it's like your 97-year-old grandmother who is ready to go meet Jesus, she's lived a great life you still are missing her. So you can still have some depression now that she's gone. Gender. Again, women are about twice as likely as men to become depressed. And no one knows why. There's a theory that the hormonal changes we go through at different times in our lives may play a role. But is that for sure? No, nobody knows. It's just there. Genes. A family history of depression can increase the risk. And again, if you have a family history of depression, while you may be more prone to being depressed yourself, there's not a whole lot you can do to change your family history. It's just something to be aware of. So um, what are some things that you can do to help yourself feel better if you are depressed? This is my favorite part, getting into the 
let's try this. Okay. So one of the things that can be helpful is therapy. I have to say that being a former family therapist, if you are looking for therapy for depression, look for someone who is a cognitive behavioral therapist, CBT. These therapists tend to focus on helping their clients find actionable solutions for their problems. They also collaborate with clients to identify different types of coping skills or activities that can help reduce their symptoms and help them feel better. So um, yeah, look for someone who either is a CBT therapist or practices CBT, because that is going to be your best bet if you are depressed. And these therapists are probably going to challenge their clients to uh, reevaluate the negative messages that they're giving to themselves, encourage them to be more active, social, engage in more self-care, track and monitor changes in mood. So these therapists tend to be a bit more proactive and kind of pushing their clients forward to where they need to be. So this, this can be very helpful for depression. Medication. All right, let me give my little medication for emotional conditions speech. If you are depressed, yes, there are meds that you can take. The most common ones for depression are Prozac, Celexa, Zoloft, Paxil, and Lexapro. Now, please hear this next part. Medications for depression, just like medications for anxiety, were never meant for long-term use. They were meant to be a stopgap to help you feel better enough that you can start doing some of these health self-help activities so that you can start feeling and functioning better so that then you can get yourself off of the meds. Well, your doctor can get you off. Don't do it yourself. That's what it is for. It is not take a pill. Here it is for the next 20 years. Do this and you're fine. That's not what it was meant for. That's what a lot of people want, but you need to make those lifestyle changes so that you start feeling better. Again, medications are fine, but they are meant to be short-term. Um, let's see if you are, if your symptoms are, are mild, you, you may not even need medication. In fact, I know at least they used to, I'm not sure now, but in England, they used to not prescribe meds for depression unless it was a medidepressive disorder for uh, a milder one. You couldn't even get it. They wanted you to have therapy and do lifestyle changes, which I think is so much smarter. That's what you need to do. Keep in mind, antidepressants do not work right away, and you may need to try several before you find one that works. I've mentioned this before that Ed, my late husband, was a dentist, and I know that although we tend to have the perception, perception we just take a pill and boom, we feel better. It's not that simple, even for medical things. When he was prescribing for people, he needed to know their gender. How much did they weigh? Um, what other medications were they taking? How active were they? Because you need to know what's going to work and how is it going to interact with other factors. And a lot of times he would have to try two or three meds. And then once he got the right medication, try two or three different dosages before they got the right one. So it's not this simple here, take this pill, one size fits all. That would make life so simple, but I promise it's not. So just be aware that it doesn't work that way. Also, Side effects are one reason that people stop taking antidepressants. And I have heard this so many times through the years. Yes, I'm taking this medication for anxiety or depression. And the medication is helping that, but it's causing other issues. And a lot of times it's like, 
I just feel foggy. I I'm I feel like a zombie. I'm tired all the time. I have no energy. I mean, medications can help, but they can also cause other issues that a lot of people don't like to deal with. This is why I end up getting a lot of hypnosis clients because they want to feel less anxious are less depressed, but they don't want the medications, which I totally get. I don't like putting a lot of stuff into my body. So I understand that. Um, okay. So something else that I recommend for a lot of clients, especially for people with depression is laughter therapy. So a good sense of humor is not going to cure everything, but there is a lot of data that's being accumulated that shows laughter can do amazing things, y'all. It really can. So watch funny videos, read funny books. I think I've talked about, I always, I didn't write this down and I blink out. I think it was Norman Cousins. He, uh, back in like the 1930s, developed cancer, I think. I'm doing this from memory right now. Um, and they recommended all the, you know, this massive chemo and drugs. And he didn't want to do that. He started, he went at that time because the movies were real to real. They weren't like videos. And he just got somehow a bunch of Mark's brother and three stooges movies, which would not do it for me, by the way. But he started watching those every day and was laughing several hours a day. And he cured himself of his cancer. And I know the title of the book was Anatomy of an Illness. I think it was Norman Cousins. But laughter, y'all, has amazing powers. If you are laughing, you don't feel anxious. You don't feel depressed. A lot of times you don't feel pain because those cancel each other out. So laughter therapy is great. And I recommend it to so many clients. Get on YouTube, find some funny videos. I love funny animal videos and funny wedding videos, wedding bloopers. Those are two of my favorites. Um, some people like sports bloopers. Some people like, you know, outtakes of movies, whatever it is, find things that appeal to your funny bone and watch them on a regular basis. And this is something you, you can do as a family activity, by the way. So do that and get some laughter into your life. So some of the short-term benefits of laughter, it has a lot of them. It actually induces physical changes in your body, which I thought was interesting. Laughter can stimulate a lot of your organs. It enhances your intake of oxygen-rich air, stimulates your heart, lung, and muscles, and it increases the endorphins, which are the natural feel-good chemicals in your body that your brain is releasing. It can activate and relieve your stress response. A big laugh fires up and then cools down your stress response. And it can increase and then de decrease your heart rate and blood pressure, which makes you feel relaxed. Really good. It's a great feeling. It can also soothe tension. It stimulates circulation and muscle relaxation. Some long-term effects of laughter, they have those too. It can be good for you over the long term. It can improve your immune system. Negative thoughts manifest into chemical reactions that can affect your body by decreasing your immunity. Y'all, it can. The messages that we give ourselves are so powerful. So laughter helps fight that stress. It can relieve pain. It can ease pain by causing the body to produce its own natural painkillers. You really do feel better after you laugh. It can increase personal satisfaction. It can also make it easier to cope with difficult situations. It helps you connect with other people. Laughter is a great bond. It can improve your mood. 
It lessens stress, depression, and anxiety. It can help you feel happier. I mean, who doesn't want to feel happier? I've never met anyone who says, no, I don't want to feel happy. I want to feel depressed all the time. Okay, so some other things that you can do other than laughing, which is a good one. Plan some things that you can look forward to. A lot of times people can get an emotional lift when they contemplate a future fun event. So put it on your calendar. If you know that you have a vacation coming up in two weeks, put it on the calendar. I am going in a few weeks to Tulsa for my grandson Charlie's second birthday. I am looking forward to that. It's on my calendar. I smile whenever I see that event on my calendar. So do something like that and have something to look forward to. Another thing that can be really helpful is to get enough sleep. And this is tricky because depression can cause you to either not sleep hardly at all, or you can sleep all the time. And neither one of those is good. You need that kind of happy medium to uh, somewhere in there. Take out all distractions from your bedroom. Don't have your computer or your TV or any electronic devices in your bedroom. Just sleep. And if you want to sleep and are having trouble, read a book. That's much better than anything electronic. You really, most of the time, get a boring book if you really want to sleep. And I will tell you all, somewhere, I think here in my office, I have my doctoral dissertation that I wrote. If you ever want to sleep, I'll be happy to lend it to you. No, I'm just kidding. But find a boring book because it will. Your eyes will just start closing and you'll start nodding off. So another thing that can be really helpful is to find a support group for depression. I love support groups. They have a lot of benefits. One is when you're in the group, you realize that you are not alone. So many people, when they go to a support group for whatever it is, one of the first things they say is, you know, until I went to the group, I thought I was the only person in the world with my problem. And I was so surprised to find that everybody in the group had the same issues that I did. This can bring a feeling of relief. It's not just me. I'm not really weird. Well, you may be weird, but you're not the only one who has that issue. And it can be very encouraging to know that other people are dealing or have dealt with the same issue. Express, it can help you with expressing your feelings. Once you realize that you're not alone and that you're within a safe and supportive environment, you begin to feel more comfortable sharing your feelings because these people have all been there. They know what you don't have to explain everything. They get it. And that's so empowering. You also can learn helpful information. So common in support groups to hear one person who said, well, you know, I tried this and it really helped me. And you're like, oh, I never thought about that. So things that might never occur to you, people in the group can just toss out there. It's very helpful. You can end up improving your social skills because you are interacting with other people in the group. You know, when you're depressed, you want to be a hermit. You want to pull back, go into your cave. It is not helpful. A support group is a way to get out there and to connect with other people. It gives you hope, especially when you see other people in the group who are further along and who say, well, yeah, when I first started coming here, I was blah, blah, blah. And now you see how much progress they've made. And you're like, oh my gosh, well, if they did it, maybe I can do it too. It gives you hope. Also, it can reduce distress. As you start working through issues, you feel less distress and discomfort because you realize, you know, I'm making some progress. I am 
doing a little better. And that is very empowering. It also increases your self-understanding. When you go to the group and you hear what other people are saying, you realize, you know what? Boy, that was a trigger for me too. When that happens to me, I get really depressed. So you recognize what those are and learn different ways to avoid those triggers or to cope with them. It's also really good because in the beginning, people are going to be helping you, okay? And which is great. After you've been there for a while, although that will continue, you will start helping others. And helping someone else is one of the most empowering things that we can do to make us feel better. And the last thing that's really good about a group is that it can be very affordable. Therapy can be expensive. I mean, I know that. And I think, honestly, for something like this, for depression, I think a group is a better option anyway, because you're not just getting something from the therapist. You're getting something from seven or eight other people who have been there, who get it. So it, I think it's just, it's very real for most people. It's not like, oh, this therapist is just telling me this. These are people, these are fellow sufferers who are telling me this. So I can believe them. And it's much more affordable. In fact, some groups are free. And if you can't find a group near you, look online. But it's better in person. But look for a support group. That can be, that can be helpful. Something else that can be helpful in dealing with depression is to connect with other people. Again, when you are depressed, we tend to get out of touch. We don't answer emails or text. We don't return phone calls. We break dates with people. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just really wasn't feeling up to it. And that's not helpful, guys. Social isolation and loneliness have been shown to increase premature mortality. People die earlier when they're isolated. You need to stay connected. So go to church, go to the family dinners, do the things. It may not help you immediately, but I promise you staying at home and being a hermit is not going to help either. Try to remember, this is the next one, something fun and happy. Think about things you did in the past that you really enjoyed, happy memories, and bring those good feelings forward. And maybe try those activities again. Maybe if you really used to enjoy gardening, maybe you need to get out there and pull some weeds. And if you don't want to do it at your house, you can come pull weeds in my yard. I will be happy to have you do that. Another one that can be helpful is to be more active. Take up some form of exercise, y'all, regularly. There is a ton of evidence that says that exercise lifts your mood. And if you haven't exercised for a while, don't try to run a marathon, okay? Try to start off maybe by walking for 20 minutes a day. It temporarily boosts those feel-good chemicals called endorphins, and it can also have long-term benefits for people with depression. Regular exercise seems to encourage the brain to rewire itself in positive ways. So basically, exercise is changing your brain. I mean, how cool is that? And then list some of your good qualities. Sometimes we need to be reminded of that. If you can't think of any, ask people who know you for help. They will probably come up with something. I want to tell you all a story. I'm really big on this, on, on uh, encouraging each other and, and all of this and encouraging ourselves. So years ago, I was doing this group and one of the last things I did on the, the last evening is I had this table in the middle and everybody had a piece of paper and they wrote their name on top of it and put their paper on the table. Then 
for the next 30 or 40 minutes, you had to go to the table and get a piece of paper that was not yours. It did not have your name on it. And you wrote something that you liked or appreciated or was good about that person. You would have thought I was asking people to take all their clothes off and dance around naked. I mean, really, I got all these, oh man, we have to do what? Oh. And people were moaning and groaning and I made them do it anyway. <laughs> I was the leader. So they did with some grumbling. Um, and then everybody got to look at them and keep it, which was cool. So a couple of years after that event, I ran into one of the guys who'd been in the group. We were talking and he said, I want to show you something. He pulled out his wallet and opened it and pulled out this really tattered, folded piece of paper. And it was that piece of paper. And he said, I was so mad when you made me do this. And I'm so glad you did. He said, I cannot tell you how many times I have taken this out and read over it. And it has meant so much to me. Thank you. I thought that was really sweet. So that can be very, very helpful. All right. Let's look at what the Bible says about depression, because it does say a lot. Remember, ladies, depression is not a sin. It is not a character flaw. It can come from a lot of different causes. What we need to do is keep trying to get better and keep asking God for his help. So here are some verses. And, and all of this that I'm telling you is going to be in the uh, Facebook Taking Care of Your Temple group. Okay. Deuteronomy 31.8, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. How cool is that? John 16.33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Yeah, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We don't have to overcome the world on our own because Jesus has already done it. He will help us. Philippians 4, 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So you notice, don't dwell on the negative, turn your mind toward the positive. That's what God's word is telling us to do. Jeremiah 29, 11, y'all, this is one I say to myself every morning, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. I love that verse. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Good thing. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. So again, we don't have to rely on our own understanding, our own wisdom. We can use God's. I love this one too for depression. Psalms 30, 11, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. How cool is that? Mourning into dancing, clothed you with gladness. Love it. This is one of my favorites. There's another one that I say every morning, Micah 7, 7 through 8. But as for me, I watch and hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Is that awesome or what? And then one more. 
1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And this is just some. There are so many out there. If you are suffering from depression and you are a Christian, you are God's child, you're still going to have problems, unfortunately. I, I wish I could say that didn't happen. But find some scripture verses that speak to your problem. And it's so much easier nowadays. When I was growing up, I had to, you know, get a concordance or something. Now I just go on Google and, you know, find verses for whatever, make a list. And I record them on my phone and I play them every morning. I have verses and I have thought optimizers that I play every morning. And I listen to them while I unload the dishwasher, while I feed my dogs, while I make my bed, you know, stuff that I don't have to think about. I can do an automatic pilot and I'm saying it with it and it's getting into my brain. Okay. And if you have depression, if you're suffering from that, you need to reprogram your brain. And this is a really good way to do it. Okay. Fun fact about Waco. I looked it up. There are over 99 pizza places in Waco, which is one for about every 1400 people. And it was just 99 plus. In other words, I stopped counting it. So I'm sure there's more. Pizza, I say this because it's just one of my very favorite foods. I could eat it several times a week. I try not to let myself do that. But it is just one of my favorite meals. So Waco is a great place for pizza. There's all kinds of different uh, different types of pizza. My favorite, thin crust, pepperoni, Italian sausage, and basil with a salad and iced tea. I am a happy camper. And I try to go to a place that I will get it for lunch that I know is big enough that I won't eat all of it. I can take half home and have it like for dinner the next night. So I get it twice. But um, yeah, if you like pizza, Waco's a good place to be. Okay. So along with this podcast and uh, running Waco Hypnosis Center, I am available for public speaking. If you are interested in having me for an event, you can contact me through my website at www.drmelissarich.com or email me at info at drmelissarich.com. And ladies, if you enjoyed this podcast, if it was helpful, I would love for you to do one or more of the following. Write me a review, share the episode, or follow it. I am working on building up my audience. And if some of you could give me a boost on social media, that would be awesome. I would really, really appreciate it. Thank you guys so much for listening. Everyone have a good day. I will be back next week. Bye.